Any views or opinions expressed in this podcast are strictly the views or opinions of the presenter. Nothing in here is the view of the firms, corporations, financial entities that anybody represents. Uh, Nothing expressed here is a view of any um, regulator or semi-regulatory agency. Uh, All content is intended to be educational. Nothing in this episode construes specific investment advice. And if you do require advice, you should seek an appropriate advisor, be that a financial planner or a tax advisor or possibly a lawyer. All of a sudden, his cancer comes out or back pain, you know, and now he needs a uh, you know discectomy, you know, quarter million dollars spinal surgery, you know, Bill. So I make sure that, you know, nothing has happened the last, you know, 24, 24 months. This episode of the CE Drive podcast is brought to you by Business Career College. Business Career College is a leading provider of financial services education, including the life insurance licensing program, the entire set of courses leading to the CFP certification, which is actually where I spend most of my time teaching and where I've met many of the participants in these podcasts. We also provide continuing education credits, live classroom and webinar instruction in support of the elder planning counselor designation and a few other odds and ends in support of folks in the financial services industry. You can find the full catalog of course offerings at www.businesscareercollege.com. And welcome back to the CE Drive podcast. This is Jason Watt. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking with Gino Sturpe from Vumi. Uh, Vumi is a um, health and a VIP health insurance provider. And uh, the episode is going to be good for uh, life insurance credits in all jurisdictions except Alberta, where it'll be good for one ANS credit, no life credit in Alberta. Um, it'll be good for a financial planning credit. We'll submit it with Advocus for an IAS credit. Uh, we won't submit it for IROC or MFDA credits. I don't think it'll meet their criteria for either IROC or MFDA. So lots of insurance credits here, including that Alberta ANS credit, uh, but no securities credits. Okay, um, the object for this episode, the object, I'm uh, at another conference this week and I picked up some swag. I have a, a teddy bear here, an e-money teddy bear, which is a U.S. Uh, financial services provider that generally people who are aware of say, I wish we had that or something like it in Canada. Um, so the object is a teddy bear, an e-money teddy bear. And I've got more to follow. You're going to hear a lot about uh, not necessarily e-money specifically, but I, uh, I've already found some really cool stuff at this conference I'm at. And just like I did with, or just like I will do, you'll hear this later on um, with the Institute of Advanced Financial Planners Conference, I'm also going to do a podcast episode specifically on the Financial Therapy Association. Uh, So we're going to roll into the um, interview here. Uh, The interview is relatively short. So I have some follow-on comments, and I'm going to talk about some stuff that's um, been happening on the FISRA front lately. So I've got uh, quite a bit um, following this, but uh, let's launch into the interview here. Um, I enjoy the interview here. I This is an area that I don't really know that much about. I consider myself a bit of an insurance nerd, and I have seen some of these products over the years, um, but I've never really had the chance to to get to talk to somebody about you know, deductibles and underwriting and then a bunch of the stuff that Gino um, talked about here. So I was grateful for the opportunity. I hope you find it valuable. Um, I'm, I am curious to know 
uh, and I'd love to hear feedback on this, whether it was um, good or bad, or how we perceive this to have a, a specific product provider on the call. The, the challenge I have here um, is that um, with products like this, I find really the only way to get to know them is to talk to the product providers. I find lots of people out there selling them, but the people who sell them typically, you know, they, they kind of, they got the pitch. They said, yeah, I get it. I get where it fits. And they don't necessarily get to be experts at it. That is different than travel insurance. And I am going to get somebody on the podcast here um, to talk about travel insurance. Actually, I'm going to reach out to my own travel insurance agent. All right. With that, let's roll into the interview. Hi, I'm here today with uh, Gino Sterpe. Gino is the, I think, CEO of Vumi Canada. Gino, I got that right. Vice president. Vice president. Vice president. Perfect. All right. Sorry about that. Um so can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, Gino? Perfect. Yes. Uh, thank you, Jason. My uh, name is Gino Sturpe. I'm uh, heading up uh, Vumi Canada here. Um, been in the insurance industry for 33 years now and the last seven, eight years with a, a big focus on this international private medical insurance uh, space, uh, particularly for you know, this, type of, this type of product. Perfect. And can you tell us just what is, I know a lot of people out there will know what Vumi is, but I don't think everybody will. Um, so what is Vumi? Great. Okay. Vumi, actually what it stands for is VIP Universal Medical Insurance. The, na- the name is our game. All right. That's easy. And uh, who is your ideal client then, Gino? Ideal client, Jason, is um, everyone from a custom staircase factory that, you know, that does carpentry work all the way to the C-suite executive, you know, Bay Street, you know, law firm, you know, for, for, the, for the partner level. Uh, typically, this product is, uh, is sold on, on, on a group basis, but it is available threefold. We'll get into that, you know, a little bit later. But, you know, to answer your question of who is the ideal candidate, it, it's everyone who cannot afford to wait in the Canadian medical healthcare system. And who will who is willing and wanting to go seek treatment abroad? Okay, and obviously, then you have some case studies here, some sort of good outcome stories. What do you have for us here? We Gino? do, we do. Yes, yeah, so we've had so we've had some a uh, few claims. It's three years now since we've launched uh, Vumi here in Canada. Um, yeah, so some success stories. You know, we've had uh, one individual just recently. You know, he was, you know, at a water skiing accident, right? He tore his uh, quadriceps and, you know, he had to wait, you know, three weeks to, for, for an MRI, right? So he's walking around with crutches and he's like, you know, he had our insurance, wasn't sure if we would pay or not because it was a water skiing accident. It wasn't, you know, calls the broker, broker calls me, says, yeah, yeah, no, that's all good. And, uh, you know, we, sh- we uh, gave him a list of three places to go to the U.S. He picked one, he picked one of the top centers of excellence. Um, you know, he went, he met with the orthopedic surgeon. They got the MRI done in day one. He got the surgery done in day two. You know, it was about 150000 American dollar claim we paid. Client was responsible for his uh, $5,000 deductible. And yeah, so that was, that was one, um, one, one of our most recent, you know, claims. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. You know, just Fairly sounds fairly straightforward. I do have a question here, um, and I this is off topic already, Gino. So, uh, just when you talk about water skiing accidents, and I don't know what's wrong with me here, but I immediately think about alcohol, and I'm wondering because with travel insurance, one of the 
sort of big sources of exclusion here. And I know this is not a travel insurance policy. We'll get to that later on. Um, but with travel, in, sorry, with travel insurance, you know, alcohol can be a big exclusion. Um, do you have exclusions here based on the the cause? Gino, are we looking at that kind of thing? We do, we do, we do, we do have we do have your your basic you know exclusions. So yes, if it's you know if you're impaired or if you're you know like in in the midst of committing an indictable offense and something happens and you know we won't pay. Those are typical exclusions, right? Um, like water ski, you know, is not considered a, a hazardous activity, right? But mountain um back heli country skiing would be considered that right um you know bungee jumping you know skydiving right if you break a leg skydive just don't expect us to pay the claim to get your leg fixed because you want to do something you know like hazardous right fair enough yeah so sort of yeah uh, sort of similar to what you might see on say a disability insurance policy in terms of exclusions then or either on travel insurance maybe so okay thanks yeah um i should have thought about that question i can't believe i didn't all right um sorry in advance so now what about uh underwriting then you know if we're going to talk about uh exclusions then it seems maybe i should have asked about underwriting first so what what do people get underwritten for what causes let's say issues at underwriting okay Good question, Jason. Uh, so underwriting, so our, our product's available twofold. Uh, individual, which is a fully underwritten contract. So it's much like a disability insurance contract at that time. That's how it gets underwritten. So you're going to answer the medical questions, okay? Uh, there's no medical evidence required up to the age of 65. 65 and older, we will require a, a recent you know, blood work and a recent ECG, Okay, so that's what two things we would want to look at, and uh, one other one for female and one other one for for males, like prostate, like PSA levels, you know, a recent check. So we we want that that data uh, if it's less than one year old. Okay, so that's the only medical evidence that you have to supply us again over the age of sixty five. 65 and under, basic medical questions. You're gonna you're gonna tell us how much you weigh, how tall you are. Uh, you're going to circle answer yes or no, like no to anything, anything answer yes to the underwriter will typically look at it and they'll make a decision, right? If it's, um, you know, based on how you answer, what kind of detailed information you give. So typically uh, things can be excluded. So when you're fully underwritten, uh, certain ailments would be excluded. So if you're overweight, you have high cholesterol, you take blood pressure medication, there's a good chance you'd have a dysplasidemia exclusion. So anything to do with heart circulatory stroke. Okay, would 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 be excluded if you're just if you're not overweight. You just you know you're controlled with blood meds. Good chance you're going to be covered. You know for for something like that. But if you have too many things going against you, then the answer would be no. So that piece would be carved out of your policy, right? When you're being fully underwritten on a group level, there's no underwriting. Okay, a minimum three people to form a group. Okay, there's what we have is what is what's called in the industry a 24-24 pre-ex. So there's a 24-month waiting period on anything that's deemed to be a pre-existing condition. And our definition of pre-existing is anything you sought advice for, received treatment, you're on medication for, would typically be an, an excluded uh, condition. And anybody who's in the group space will know that that's a common enough exclusion in group. So that the 2424 is from the time of placement of the, the view me contract, not for the overall group. Like if there's already been. Correct. The effective, the effective start date of the policy. 
Perfect. So, um, like just to give an example, if someone has prostate cancer today, they buy our policy tomorrow, they would need to wait 24 months and one day, and then he could seek some advice and treatment for, uh, for, 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 for prostate cancer. For claim related. Got it. Yeah. And um, do you assume, like, does this only work where there's already another group insurance contract in place? Or do you have groups that have like only this coverage? Would you ever see that? Gina? No, no. Typically groups in Canada have the full, sweet, traditional group benefits plan. Remember, uh, this plan is not designed to get your teeth cleaned or pay for your meds and buy you eyeglasses, but it would pay for a detached retina. It would for surgery, right? It would pay the millions of dollars to, to get you fixed. Right? It gives you access to us medical healthcare where they have better technologies and whatnot. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. And the underwriting here, um, is this, uh, do you have in-house underwriting? Do you contract it out? Is it Humania that does your underwriting when on that individual case? Uh, no, it's it's done of our, out of our Miami uh, headquarters. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I had no idea. I didn't know what the relationship was like here exactly with, you know, Humania or however. So that's good. You know, thanks. Humania is our partner. Humania is our, is our partner here in Canada. Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, how are claims adjudicated then? So what's the and what's the exact sort of process for the the claimant? How do they get through that? And what's your response to that? Okay, good. Uh, good question. So it's a little bit detailed. So it's a little bit lengthy of a response that, that this this kind of question. So if it's a claim, if it's a catastrophic claim in the first two years, right, um, the back office will do like an OHIP record search. So they're going to just make sure that, you know, someone's not trying to defraud us, right? Um, before we issue a GOP, like the guarantee of payment, because we can issue that GOP within 24 hours, right? Um, if it's after two years, right? So if it's a claim is coming in after two years or it was an acute injury, like, you know, something, right? Then of course it's something that that's covered like immediately, right? But if it's, you know, they buy the policy, oh, by the way, uh, all of a sudden this cancer comes out or back pain, you know, and now he needs a, uh, you know, discectomy, you know, quarter million dollars spinal surgery, you know, Bill, just want to make sure that, you know, nothing has happened the last, you know, 24, 24 months. So that's, that's sort of like that underwriting, you know, qualifying. So we call that pre-certification. So before, it's just like, you know, you get into a car accident, right? You don't go get your car. You don't bring it to get fixed. And you say, fix it. And then you send the bill to the insurance company. No, you, you notify, you know, the insurance company say, listen, involved in a car accident. And the car was towed over here. It's sitting over there, you know. Uh, that's, you know, so you'd call, get pre-certified. We issued a GOP. Client's never out of pocket, Right. Other than that, then they're then they're deductible. Perfect. And that uh, that guarantee of payment, then like the client would take that to whatever health. We, we send that we send that to the facility wherever the client's going to be going yeah. to be treated. Letting them know, listen, client, you know, our our insured here is fully covered, and they just they go in, they put in the fee codes, right? They have fee codes for each of the procedures, and then there's the allotted, you know, the allowed expense that's that that gets paid. So, you know, there's like, I have, you know, different levels of experience with this, right? So, you know, if it's something, I'm going to use my wife's example, because we've gone through this a bunch this year, listeners to this podcast will be aware of this. And, you know, my wife went in with uh, sort of unexpected new seizures in February. Um, that was our first real major visit to hospital. And she had like immediately right then and there, uh, lumbar puncture, like spinal tap, and then within, you know, 24 hours, she had CAT scan and so forth, right? So quick, like that was 
a good positive experience at the hospital. Um, PET scan, we had to wait a little bit longer for, but let's say that, you know, she'd wanted to get a PET scan right away. Is this like, would that have been a claim, Gino, assuming no pre-ex and all that good stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And could have could have done that locally, potentially, because some diagnostics, I don't know about PET scan, honestly, but some diagnostic services you can, you know, source locally, if you're willing to pay some, you'd, like maybe we would have had to hop on a flight, a, a flight to Minneapolis, gone to you know, Mayo Clinic or whatever. Is that kind of the, the way? Absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Um, and so what's the sort of expectation on people to use like OHIP or, you know, in my case, Alberta Health Services? Is there any expectation there? Is it, does there have to be some waiting no, period? Yes. So it is a requirement to have our policy. So we can't sell visitors insurance. We can't be that stand-in policy for new immigrants who come, you know, to Canada who are waiting a year to, to get onto the provincial healthcare systems, right? They can't buy our product, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, sorry. I was, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad you clarified that. I guess what I'm thinking here is like, is there some minimum where she has to show that she's exhausted all the Alberta health resources before? No, you know, jump no, into the no, 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 no. It's the client. It's the client's first. It's it's it's, it's absolutely the client's choice. If they do not want to wait in the Canadian yeah. in the medical Canadian healthcare system, they have that choice, right? Okay. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. And that's that's what I was expecting. I just you know I think it's worth clarifying that. So. Oh yeah. Okay. We um we we like I shared a report. One of the doctors there in, in Calgary office, like they're saying, four years for a hip or knee replacement, right? By the time the surgeon sees it, to the so a lot of people going to the states to go get you know get the procedures, you know, paying. Oh yeah, it's it's a serious problem. Right. And I would see that that goes back to underwriting then, because you don't want to underwrite somebody who's a year into their four year wait for uh, their knee replacement. Exactly right? on a so, fully yeah. underwritten basis. It's exactly. I get I get one of those phone calls each and every month, at least one a month. You know, and it breaks my heart. You know, people call. Hi, I just received my you know my critical illness money. I re- I've been diagnosed with you know they give me the cancer name of some sort, and I'm like I'm sorry, I can't help you. You know, we're not a service company. We're actually an insurance company, but. You mentioned cancer. I said, you know, call John Hopkins, you know, number one cancer hospital, you know, tell them your condition and see what you can do, right? That CI payout is still useful there. It's just not going to pay for what you're doing. So, yeah, yeah I got it. Yeah. Um, now, what about uh, travel? And you've already you know, properly clarified this is not travel insurance and not. It, so let's say that you do have a client who's traveling abroad somewhere and they end up with you know, you talked about your water skiing guy. Can you just talk about the sort of like how the travel insurer responds and then where ViewMe might come in there? Okay. So if they have travel insurance, travel insurance would be, would be first payer if it's something as a result of an accident or something like that, right? Uh, that case there with the water skiing, it wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't traveling. He was actually at his cottage here in Ontario, you know? So it's, 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 it's I'm, I'm in Alberta. So again, water skiing equals travel for me because our lakes here are not, but it, yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. So here he was, you know, at his cottage, at his lake, you know, so it's different. But yeah. So, so if someone is traveling abroad and car accident, they land in a hospital, right? They have 70, uh, 72 hours. They got three days to notify us, right? Someone, the family member should notify us. Hey, you know, father's here or uncle's here, brother's here, husband, you know, let us know that, you know, this is what happened. And, you know, and they can notify their travel insurance company. They can notify us at the same time, right? Travel might pay, 
for, well, they'll pay first, their first payer, and then we're second payer. If they were to decline coverage for any reason, whatever, then we would, of course, you know, pay, right, in, in the event of something like that, yeah. Perfect. All right, I'm going to ask some questions here about plan design, and don't be shy to give details here. Our, our uh, listeners can handle it. So, um, all right. So I want to look at, because there seems to be two sort of questions for plan design. It seems to be deductible and then the maximum claim. Is there any other plan design questions? No, we have we have a few options that are only on the group that are available because on the individual, you can't really have you know too many options. Can't be, you know, it's just, it's, it is what it is, right? Like our individual fully underwritten group, you do have options. So the individual is a fixed $5 million lifetime aggregate. That's the individual fully underwritten group. It's you have a choice of 1 million, 2 million, or 5 million of coverage. And these are always Canadian dollars. Okay. Canadian benefits, Canadian deductibles, Canadian premiums, right? So, um, like going from 1 million to 2 million is not double the cost. It's merely 8% bump up in premium. Okay. And going from 2 million to 5 is about a 10% bump up, right? In premium. But you have to remember on the group, it's per person, per policy year. So every year it resets. Every policy year resets. Fresh, you know, $1 million or $2 million of coverage. But yes, you're right. Typically, you know, uh, groups, you know, they, they purchase like the, the $2 million. Because $1 million, it's Canadian dollars. You go to the States, that's 750 ish you know, 750 to 800 you know, Americans. So that's two and a half, maybe three cancer treatments, right? I know... One of the things that I hear from some um, in that sort of international coverage space is that, you know, the sticker price might be like three quarters of a million dollars or whatever, but, you know, you have a, you have some negotiating power and we do. You know, obviously, so, so yes. Yeah. So I might pay 750 as an individual, but you're, you might be paying 550 or, or yeah, whatever, right? Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Yes. So we're part of the Aetna. Uh, you know, discounting, you know, program, there are partners, right? So, yes, so we uh, we have the, the Aetna negotiated, you know, rates. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess, so I look at this with my risk management uh, glasses on here. And, you know, I, I think like, why would anybody want a deductible smaller than 5,000? I, I guess what's the premium trade-off there for you know, the 5,000 deductible versus the smaller deductibles. Well, Jason, you're absolutely right. You nailed it right on the head again. You, you're, you've you done your homework. You've looked at our rates. You've seen the individual rates. So, yes, yeah, so 5,000 is the typical sweet spot, you know, for this type of program. However, so we do see uh, people um, in, we'll say, the high net, high net worth market where they sell their clients a very large life insurance policy, a very large critical illness insurance policy. So the critical illness insurance policy usually is designed to replace one's income, create an emergency fund, right? Uh, and, and probably give them X amount of dollars to go maybe to the US to spend to get fixed. But now they won't know where to go. You, you're going to be calling a hospital, you know, say, hi, I've been diagnosed with this. Whereas if they have our insurance plan, and typically when they do those, I see those individual applicants come in with a with a $20,000 deductible because they know they're going to get the 20000 from their CI offsets, you know, pays for the, the, the VUMI deductible, right? And now VUMI will now take care. And now that gives them $5 million to go spend to get fixed. And we offer the fully, you know, concierge VIP, you know, service that we do offer, right? So they're going to be calling us, they diagnosed with X, 
you know, we'll do the research. We can get it. First of all, we can start off with a second opinion. We can find out what the best, you know, doctors are in that specific area of medicine, you know, possibly even be, go see these doctors, right? If they're, you know, willing and able to accept the client like immediately, right? And the beats, it's all paid for, right? And that concierge service, that's, again, something I assume that comes partly through, like, is that a head office thing? Is that an Aetna Our intake, thing? yes, yes, yes. We Like our company, there's, there's it's over 450 employees. So, yes, yeah, so there's a full intake. You know, you, when you call in the claims, you get triaged, you know, depending on what you're calling for, you're going to be speaking to, you know, the correct person. So that's, that's the way it works. I was really surprised, and I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised to notice the number of countries where you have a presence, like a, like a, a, a geno equivalent. Oh, there's no other genos, right? But a, a geno equivalent out there. So, yeah, that's cool. Um, and it makes sense for the uh, field you're in. Now, you talked about sort of skirting around that million dollar threshold. Have you actually seen claims north of that million dollar Canadian threshold? I have not. Um... I'm not the closest I've seen. We did have one cap out where it was over half a million um, with with my old with the old company I was with uh, it, uh, due to age. So he had a half a million dollar cap. He was over the age of uh, seventy. Oh, interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, I'm wondering about that. You know, where the again, where's that sweet spot? So yeah, that's good. You know, thanks. So now. Um, I have seen like your, and I don't know what your old company was exactly, sorry, but, uh, you know, I have seen a few entrants to this sort of concierge care space over the years. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some that have, that later are not around anymore. I've seen some that have, I think are just kind of surfing along. Um, clear, like you have a track record with Vumi, right? You've been, you know, the, the company's been around for, I'm not sure how long, but I know there's some. There's 35 years. And so what do you see as different here than other concierge space, sorry, concierge providers in Canada? Good, good question, Jason. So a lot of these concierge uh, players, um, you know, it's, it's a smaller fee, you know, $34 a month. And, and all they're going to do is just do some coordinating, you know, maybe it might include a second opinion, you know, t- type of service, right? Uh, it's not really much. But but it, it still is a service, so you know it's a great little add-on to have. Like I remember, I'm in the insurance business, so there's never such thing as too much insurance, right? Like believe me, we travel. I got group insurance. We buy through the credit card. You got coverage, and the wife still buys it. They're like, you just you want to make sure you're covered, right? Like that 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 that's what it is. So having like you're saying some of these little concierge plans and and whatnot, they all. They all do their 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 thing, you know. Ours goes over and above, right? Um, ours is not just a second opinion; it's the millions of dollars, you know, uh, that come with the funding to get you fixed. Okay, like that that that's that's the key, right? And yes, and then you know we do have the intake people who will facilitate, coordinate, let you know that hey, you're going to be going to. You know, you're going for a prostate procedure, you know, the typical, they're going to want you there for a couple of days. He's going to want to see you on day three before he releases you. So right across the street from the Cleveland Clinic is, you know, the the Marriott. So, you know, like clients not going to know that. Right. So our intake coordinate, they're going to work with you to let you and and then facilitate that with you. Right. Um, Ones that you see come and go. I haven't really seen any any go per se. Like I know the ones that are out there. Uh, but again, really that complete that compete with us, not really that many, you know, there's no, 
Right. That's fair. Um, and just because you mentioned the Marriott specifically here, like that would be part of your concierge care is to say, here's a place to stay. Here's where it's handy. Yeah. So our group plan does include a travel option rider okay. uh, yeah. that, you know, the, so the clients can actually fly first class to wherever they got to go get treated. It's going to, they have $5,000 travel stipend to use towards airfare and hotel. Okay. That'll get you most places. That's pretty good. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The little catch, the little fine print is it must be more than 320 kilometers away from their principal residence. Sure. This isn't a vacation. So, yeah, I got it. Okay. Um, now, is there, do you think there's a timing question here? Like, do you think that this is something that people are coming more around to? Is there some trend happening where people are more amenable to this kind of coverage? There is. There absolutely is, Jason. Uh, COVID has, oh, oh I want to say it has awoken the giant, you know. Um, you know, it, it, it brought the Canadian healthcare system in the forefront. Very few people know and very few people like are aware of, the crisis that the, the Canadian healthcare system is in. We, it, it's the makings of a perfect storm. I'm not sure if you read the book, Boom, Bust, Echo. You know, I haven't read it, no, book. but I'm familiar with it, yeah. Make yeah. A note, okay, make a note, like read it. Great, great book. So right now All we're right. in the bust part of the economy, right? Uh, in the next 10 to 15 years, almost, you know, at the current immigration trends, like 45% of Canada is going to be over the age of 65, right? If you go to the diaper section in the Walmart and the grocery store, you know, out of the whole aisle, one third is for infants and two thirds is for adults, you know, the adult diaper. So it, like that, just that should tell you something, right? Uh, if you think the wait times are bad now, what's it going to be in the next five to 10 years? So being that COVID, you know, shut down the hospitals, um, you know, it's like, so the backlog and, and, and the strain and and whatnot. So, so yes, it's it's the makings of a perfect storm. I think a lot of people right now, and not only that, even even for like to, to retain benefit, to retain executives, uh, you know, uh, look at you know look at the MedCan and the Cleveland clinics of the world, right? These and the Telus, you know, health centers. You know, there's new ones popping up almost monthly. There, there's you know, Toronto used to have, used to have two, three of them. There's there's now eight or nine. You know, and they've grown substantially. Like their membership bases have grown, you know, almost exponentially. So here are people willing to pay, you know, two thousand, three thousand dollars a year just to have a day with their doctors, you know, and get a, like a head to toe, A to Z, you know, type of uh, type of all, all in one day. These are the clients that will buy our product, right? Makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I'll speak to the two weeks that my wife had in hospital in February. Um, I would say nursing staff was excellent. The doctors were excellent, but it took a long time to see, like it was often, you know, you get one visit from the nurse in her shift. That's that is a lot of strain. And I think you're right that COVID has really exposed where there are gaps in our healthcare system. So yeah, that's, that's fair. Now, what about uh, the type of healthcare? So is there something happening where people are, you know, more aware of the conditions that, that you would typically see claimed here? Is there some other rise in in what's happening? Like, notwithstanding the aging population you already talked about, but is there some other change that's happening with I don't know comorbidities or whatever the case, where the the type of stuff you would cover is more likely to actually be on people's radar? I'm not sure. Not, I'm not sure about that. I haven't seen any like you know claim statistics per se, uh, but um, you know you know for sure like 
just seeing with the aging population, just seeing with, you know, like where you're from, like in, in Alberta, where the population is already, you know, a little bit average, you know, age is higher and the wait times are, are such because of that, right? So, you know, you, you, I will definitely see more claims around hip replacements and knee replacements than you will, um, you know, like other traditional, um, you know, type, type of claims. Um, and then what about, so you talked already about that sort of like that prevalence of private clinics. Um, do you see employers... I guess, is this retention of executive, retention across the board? Are there some industries where you see this play out more? Absolutely. Yes, you're seeing that. You're seeing them wanting to offer. Mercer's put out a beautiful report about a year ago. You know, uh, what this is what employees want, right? Um, You know, listen, like, you know, they they don't want more money. They actually want better benefits, right? So when you you see that, and that's, you know, right across the board, from, from the executive, and they're always looking, right, to try to retain some of that top talent, right? They're, you know, the, the C-suite executive class is typically, again, on a group where, you know, our insurance plan is usually installed as a complete, you know, standalone, right, separate, you know, policy. And and you see that, but now you want it because of diversion, inclusion, and so you want to see, you see, you see that pyramid turning upside down. It's like they want to include everybody now, right? So now you're seeing, I'm actually seeing quotes where, here, there's two classes. Here's the executive class, the C-suite, and then here's the other 38 employees, and and give us a quote. So we're actually seeing that. We're seeing that trend sort of happening with the with the, with the quotes that we're we're actually providing. And then, I don't know if it works it against it at all. You know, one of the things I hear from the group, insur- like I'm a member, I think like you are a Canadian group insurance brokers. Um, and I see a lot of folks there who, like a lot of the members there coming back and saying, we're seeing a lot of pressure on premiums right now. LTD premiums are um, generally gone up quite a bit this year. Uh, we're seeing a little bit on the extended health and dental side. Do you find that that increased premium on that side um, pushes against the willingness to commit premiums to a plan like this, Gino, or how do you manage that? No, we're not. We're not seeing anything like that. Um, like, you know, our groups are based on average age and demographics of the group, right? So ours um, is a blended age group. It increases year over year, you know, two to 4% um, could be higher if there's a little bit of, you know, increased utilization, you know, in the, in, in the plan. But um and that's because the average age, but then you can also have a decrease. You know, if if there's more than 25% change in the in the in the census data, the average age of the group, if they're replaced with the same age, then there won't be any difference. But you know, if, if some of the more senior people, elderly people were to return to replace with some younger, um, you can actually have a price decrease, you know, within 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 our plan. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, any other comments you should make about the group insurance side? I feel like, you know, you talked about add-ons already. You talked about managing premium. Anything else that I might not be thinking about on the group side? No, not really. Cause we, I don't, we, we don't really don't get involved in that. Right. Cause again, we don't compete against traditional group benefits. Right. So a lot of people will use us as maybe like an extra layer as a, as an extra stop loss, because we do cover these cancer drugs and these biologics that can cost up to a million dollars a year, you know? So, you know, like you, you do see some of the high end, you know, group advisors, you know, have us as that backdrop, as that emergency, you know, stop loss, just like life insurance, you know, it has every name in the book, right? Mortgage insurance, estate tax insurance, life and mortgage. So, 
even our plan, our insurance plan, like it's, I'm starting to hear just when I'm listening to to the brokers who sell it and the, and the consultants, it's like, you know, oh, this is a major medical stop loss insurance. This is a, you know, the, this. So it's just it's funny when you hear the different names that people you know call it, right? Now, I can see that framing around it. That that does make sense, and you know, I'd have to want to be careful. It's not like it's not full on because you have to go through a separate claims process. But that's a good, yeah, I, I like that presentation. Now. What advice do you have for advisors who are working in, and let's start with the family market here. So I want to think about, you know, uh, the, the presentation to that kind of middle income mass affluent market. Family market? Uh, family market, uh, again, um, you know, when advisors are there, like if you remember, this is like the fourth or fifth insurance they're going to talk about because primarily it's, it's life insurance, and then disability, if they're self-employed, right? You know, you know, you get, you know, they talked about disability. Then they're talked about some some investment income, you know, type of you know products. That's number three. Critical illness, you know, insurance is number four. Then you know, some health insurance, like you know, whether it be group benefits, whether it be additional top up, whether it be you know, and then and then it's our and then it's our product, you know, our type of product. So, and ours again is traditionally sold when the brokers are aware. And they can, and they, and they sort of see the need, right? Because you're right. It's not, my product. This product is not for everybody, but it very well can be, right? Not everyone wants to travel to, to you know, to be to be treated, right? I have a personal friend of mine, um, you know, high net worth, you know, got diagnosed with prostate cancer, and he's just waiting the game here in Ontario. And I'm like, you know. Go to the states. You know your MRI is going to be two thousand less than two thousand dollars. Go get that MRI so you you have it quickly, right? Go get your guided, you know, uh, procedure, the, the biopsy, right? You know, because now he's going to be waiting here for that because they've identified you know something. So, you know, and again, that's fifteen hundred dollars. Go give that to your doctor here, so at least he has it, right? Refuses to do so. It's not about the money. It's about he feels like he pays a lot of taxes. He he wants to wait, right? He waited, you know, he had to wait, you know, three months before he got, this was, you know, right at the beginning of, of COVID. He had to wait three months before he got seen by his doctor and his doctor did his regimen. But, you know, if it was me, I, I'm gone, you know. Oh, yes. Okay. Forget the fact that I have insurance. But even if I did not have insurance, you know, I'm happy to pay my $25,000 to go get treated, get fixed, get this thing out of you, eradicated, you know, uh, taken care of, Right. I guess that's a, a stress tolerance question, right? So how much how much stress does it yeah? Good point. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So then what about the now you mentioned your high net worth friend already. So but what advice would you have for advisors who primarily deal with high net worth clients? High net worth market, you know, they're 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 they travel, right? So here now here's our plan that, you know, sometimes, you know, and as you get older with age, you all know when it comes to travel insurance, you have that, you have stability clauses coming into effect, right? You got to be stable 60, 90 days, no change in medication, no chain, no, no doctor checkup. So, so now when you have a, when you have our plan, you don't have to worry about something like that because we don't have a stability clause, right? So you, now you have your international private medical insurance, because that's essentially what you're buying, right? You're buying your own healthcare insurance plan. Right, where you can be treated abroad, anywhere in the world, wherever you'd like to be treated, we're gonna pay for it. Period. Right? That's what it is. Right. So in that high net worth market, they're typically, you know, the employers of the world, right? They usually own a business. So, and you know, and I and I speak to advisors and like, oh no, but I don't do group 
I said, okay, but your but your 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 clients are you know high net worth individuals. They probably own the yes, but I only handle their individual. Then they see how easy our group is, right? Just you know. And, get his information for him and his executives and, you know, like the, you know, the minimum three. And typically all of a sudden you get these individuals, you know, doing group because they see how easy it is. Right. You know, like one page, your application and enrollment form for each of the people. And because they, 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 because they don't know about like traditional group benefits and how to, and, and how to market that. And then when they see it with our plan, how easy it is, we give a proposal. It's simple and easy and easy to install and, Right. Um, can I just chime in for a second with a premiums question too? When I'm thinking about premiums here, you know, should I be thinking about like tens of dollars per month, hundreds of dollars per month? What's the rough kind of ballpark for premiums here? A couple hundred dollars per month, two hundred dollars per month, average premium. So let's let's take me for example, individual, you know, fully underwritten. Here, here's our rate sheet, right? We have seven choices of deductible, so I can pay as low as low as $1,100 a year. And that's with a 20K deductible. And these are the rates that are from 50 to 55, anyone in that age group, or I can pay as much as $3,000 a year, right? So anywhere between. So it can satisfy anybody's budget. Perfect. And are you doing a, is it a, so you're going to be annual renewable on that? Is it, or does annual. it increase on the, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that's annual. It's an annual, uh, annual rate group. You know, your average group where, um, you know, based on average age, your average group price is in that $2,000, you know, depending on the deductible, again, with that $5,000 deductible, average $2,000 per year, you know. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And what, sorry, flipping back then. So what about advisories working, prime advisors are working primarily in retiree markets. Does the pricing work when you're into your 60s and 70s here? It does. It, it, it absolutely does. I can share some rates with you. Yeah, it's <laughs> like it's, you know, 60s to 70s, you're now average premium is $3,000 a year. Okay. Right. So it goes, yeah. Yeah. And that's a stage when you're, you know, more likely to have to use it, right? Absolutely. A absolutely. Harder to get. Because now you got to give us your medical if, if it's individual, but on a group basis, again, when, when you have no underwriting, it, it works well. Would you see ever a problem there? Because, you know, one of the questions when you're traveling is, have you been advised by your physician not to travel? Like, can you run into that sort of catch 22? Is that a problem? No, because once you have our plan and once you're past the, the, that, that two year, you know, waiting period for anything, if it's, you know, pre-existing, you're, you know, we got you covered. You're going to travel to get healthcare and it doesn't really matter that, yeah, okay, that's fair because you're not dealing with an emergency medical travel situation. So, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um, and then what about the group folks? You said where you're you're doing more business here on that group side and you've already talked a little bit about positioning this. So what about the group benefits advisor here, Gina? What should that person be thinking about? Group benefits advisors, that's 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 70% of our business. Um you know, where they'll just, you know, send us an email, Gino, please quote, please see the seven, you know, execs, you know, data, you know, please quote, you know, all deductibles, all options. And, you know, we just send, we send them off the quote and they just, you know, build it into their, uh, into their next year's renewal and show them, you know, and, and typically it's, uh, you know, there's, they're, they're getting like, there's what they call a lot of low hanging fruit in our industry. You know, it's, it's very well received. Uh, product. It's like it's one of those policies. It's like that. We'll say that greedy person's insurance, like like a critical illness insurance. Everyone wants it, but no one wants to pay for it. You know. Um, so the fact that they know that 
you know, they're covered in the event of something were to happen. It's just, it's that warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, and then, you know, with, with plans like individually, they can run it through their PHSP so they can use their, you know, healthcare dollars to pay for it individual on a group. It's hundred percent tax deductible, non-taxable benefit, right? Except for Quebec. I must say that everywhere in Canada, <laughs> First, you know, yeah. Yeah, except for Quebec, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's almost like a no brainer, right? Groups, uh, yeah, the, the group guys, uh, they're having a lot of success with this. And then uh, my last market question here. So what about advisors who deal with uh, travelers and snowbirds and such? Yeah, so travelers and snowbirds, again, it's, it's, it's another market where, you know, you get a lot of people who get landlocked, you know, and, and what I mean by that is like they're not allowed to travel, right? Because, you know, their blood's, uh, you know, out of whack or, you know, they, they just because of stability clause, right? So if they have this insurance, right, before their healthcare, you know, surgical dying, they're covered. Now they don't have to worry, right? So you get a lot of people, uh, and, and, and these are people uh, that I even that I know. They've had to sell off their places that they had in Florida, or now the kids have sort of you know taking it over, and they're thinking of selling it off because their parents can't go there anymore because it's how prohibitive, how expensive their travel insurance is. Because typically they would go winter there, you know, from January to March, right, just to avoid you know the cold Canadian winters and. Um, you know, it just didn't make sense for them to pay, you know, five or $7,000 a year, you know, for, for travel insurance because of some of their ailments that, that they had, right? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I'm with you. So then um, is there anything else that we should be talking about here, Gina? Any, any sort of uh, thoughts around the product we've missed or around the clients who might buy it? Um, Positioning for advisors? Okay. Yeah, you've been pretty comprehensive, Gino. I do appreciate that. I like the rate card right on hand there. That's nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's old school. I like it. Um, so, all right. On that note then, Gino, thanks very much. I really Thank appreciate you. you sharing this. And I, I was grateful that you uh, took the time when we were at KLU back in May to introduce yourself. Yes. That's uh, yeah, always good to make those connections. So thanks so much, Gino. Enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jason. It was, it was, a, it was a pleasure. You know, I love when somebody goes into detail like that and Gino was not shy with his detail. So good stuff. The number for today's episode, the number is nine. The number again is nine. Okay. I've got about 15 minutes here uh, where I'm going to have some chance now to let forth. So uh, first off, I just want to give kudos to Ian here, Ian, regular podcast guest, Ian, um, who's been on a couple of times with us. Um, he and I met recently, I guess that was a few months ago now. And he mentioned that we had a guest on, and I, I quite like this episode as well, but we had a guest on who made a comment about insurance agents being fiduciaries. And I would just remind you that by default, by legal default, an insurance agent is not a fiduciary. There are things that can happen that can make an insurance agent a fiduciary, but by and large, that pretty high bar for Canadian professionals isn't met by an insurance agent's licensing, nor by a financial planner, really have to be a trustee or an executor, that kind of thing in order to to get into that fiduciary position. You can end up there sort of by accident if you deal with particularly vulnerable clients, or if you hold out as a fiduciary, well, then you probably are a fiduciary. Okay. The Next thing I want to talk about here, uh, Gino made a comment on the call about Alberta being an aging province. Um, in fact, Alberta is the youngest province statistically. Um, what Gino was referring to, though, was not 
specifically an age issue. There's a CBC article he had pointed to, and he and I chatted about this a little bit afterwards, that talked about um, wait times in Alberta. And it made some inferences, the CBC article made some inferences about this being a sort of age-related issue. So I can see where um, Gino made that connection. Um, again, the article is linked, so you can read through it. It doesn't specifically point to um, Alberta being an older province, but it does make some, I guess, implications in that uh, direction. So anyways, you go to the show notes and you can read that, but I would just clarify that Alberta is quite a young province, actually. Um, lots of young folks come here for work, and I guess more folks are living on, leaving Ontario now to come here too, at least as of October 2022. Hey, you're welcome out here. Um, I'd love to have more Ontarians out here. Okay, so the um, review here, FISRA, this is a, something with a long history. So about a decade ago, the Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators, which is sort of the national organization where all the different insurance regulators get together and say, is the industry working right? Or is there stuff happening that's offside here? And they really started looking at whether or not the insurance industry uh, was taking advantage of consumers in a way that the securities industry cannot. Um, and I think there's more to follow here. Um, this is something that has shown up previously. This is not just idle speculation, but I think it's not too long now before we see seg funds with um, regulation more like what we see on the security side. Um, maybe a little bit of responsibility to know your client, know your product, um, which I, I get is a moral responsibility, but there's not really a legal responsibility to know your client, know your product on the seg fund side. Um, and I, I think I've heard this a few times lately too, um, concerns from regulators about folks who go uh, insurance only and then are working um, on a referral arrangement or that kind of thing. Um, and still, I would suggest doing securities business, but operating without a securities license. And I know lots of folks like that. There's probably, I think, four or five people have been on this podcast who work on that model. I, I would just caution, if you're working on that model, be prepared that it's likely and maybe this is speculation on my part, it's likely that one day you're going to have to go back and get a securities license. And I, I don't think that's the worst thing. Um, just be prepared for it. have to maybe write that Canadian securities course or whatever the case is. Okay, so circling back to the insurance side, uh, on the insurance side then, about a decade or so ago, we started to see the Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators, the CCIR, sort of sniffing around and saying, we, we think that insurance regulation is kind of missing the mark. And we have seen some uh, concrete progress here. Saskatchewan has very robust bylaws, for example, that insurance agents have to follow there. Uh, but most provinces haven't done a ton here. Uh, we do have little odds and ends. Um, I would say the insur Insurance Council of BC has taken on some questionable sales practices through its disciplinary proceedings. Um, and that's good, but it's not big picture sort of uh, structural. So now about three years ago, the CCIR came out with the FTC, the Fair Treatment of Consumers. And this is really a principles document. And it gets us part way on that in that area of sort of what do we expect insurance agents to do when working with their consumers? Things like cost disclosure, proper training, just again, stuff that we see sort of by default on the security side and not necessarily on the insurance side. Now, where has this brought us today? Why do I mention this today? Well, in the spring, 
uh, spring of 2022, there was an announcement from FISRA that they were looking at some uh, sales practices, some stuff that was maybe a little bit offside in terms of uh, training for agents and then what that was leading to in terms of products being sold. So now, and I'll put the link to this in the in the show notes. Last week, FIS released a very detailed report, um, and it outlined, um, I think, what are some, I'm going to say compliance failures. I, I think we could point to really um, almost a nil compliance activity. And as an example, my favorite statistic out of this whole report is out of three MGAs, three pretty big managing general agencies. So MGAs, of course, are where insurance agents will process most of their business today. I know not everybody works through an MGA, but most individual life insurance and even a lot of group insurance businesses process through an MGA. So we have um, in 2021, in 2021, we have 27,000 agents represented by these three MGAs. That's a lot of folks. And we have... um, reviews conducted by. So there's supposed to be regular training activity. There's supposed to be some sort of compliance activity. There's supposed to be supervision of new agents in their first two years in the business. And we see that 27,000 agents licensed. These are presumably people who are out selling life insurance and the MGA's responsible conducted zero um, reviews. Insurers, most of these firms deal with two or three insurers. You have a pretty narrow set of insurers dealing with them. And we have 26 reviews conducted by insurers. And I love this. It's like uh, somebody at FISRA is clearly trying to make a point. 0.1% of agents reviewed. Yeah, I, I can see that. Thanks. So I I thought it was, I don't know, kind of a funny statistic to add at the end, that percentage, we get it. 26 out of 27,000 is not very many. Um, In 2020, there were 19,000 agents represented at those firms, 56 reviews conducted. And in 2019, um, 16,000 agents represented by those firms and 19 reviews conducted. Essentially compliance activity, at least structured compliance activity from what we read in this report is pretty much non-existent. And the specific sales practice that they pick on in this report is the use of insured retirement plans. And I think insured retirement plans have their place, but I don't think this is the place. Specifically, uh, what the report says here is that it's being sold to folks who make modest incomes, fifty or $60,000 a year. And instead of prioritizing the RRSP, this insurance product is being prioritized. You know, I I get the concept. Obviously, I understand what an IRP is, is that you're going to build up that insurance cash value on a tax deferred basis, tax exempt, really. And then one day in retirement, you're going to leverage against that. And you're not going to have to pay tax on it because you're taking a loan. And then at death, your insurance policy would pay out, pay off the debt. And you've essentially gotten the benefit of tax-exempt growth all along. And then I'm going to say tax-free, although I don't like that phrasing, tax-free income in retirement. That's certainly what the sales practice around this would be. The first problem is you're setting up a strategy where somebody is borrowing a lot of money in retirement. And I don't really like that concept. Just on its face, the idea that you're going to take out a giant loan in retirement. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong with this. What if you don't have capacity? Okay. Just think about what goes wrong as people go into retirement. Um, so I don't like it that way. Um, and then fine, if it's like the fifth thing, if you've already got your RSP maxed out, TFSA maxed out, 
RESPs are good to go. You're using some non-reg, maybe your corporation. IRP fits in there somewhere. And, and it can, absolutely it can. I'm not saying we should never be using IRP. The other problem I have with it is that most often, these are going to be people with families. These are going to be folks who have young children. And then you get a question of, if you put money into an RRSP, if that's your primary saving strategy is the RSP, you're going to get a tax deduction. And when you get a tax deduction today, you get an increase in your Canada Child Benefit. And if we're talking about somebody making $40,000, $60,000 a year, that Canada Child Benefit is meaningful. You get a real bump, depending on the number of kids, to your Canada Child Benefit. So it's just not sound from a financial planning perspective. And then the third is a lot of these folks would end up not staying in Canada. There's a heavy dose of uh, new Canadians here. And if you have somebody who buys a universal life policy and they're here for 12 years and then they go somewhere else, that policy is now potentially subject to different tax and legal regimes. You might not be able to fund it anymore. Uh, you might have a, a tax treatment in that other country that doesn't respect Canada's treatment of that policy. Just too much to deal with there. All right. So anyways, I'm curious to see where this um, ends up. I think FISRA has been a little bit toothless on the financial advisor and financial planning side, but maybe they can um, demonstrate a little bit of heft here. We'll see where this goes. All right. Thank you very much for listening and or watching and enjoy your continued studies. Hi, if you're listening to this episode and you're not already signed up for CE credits, this is a very easy thing to do. Just navigate over to businesscareercollege.com and you're going to sign up here for CE. Just subscribe. Currently, the pricing is $200 a year. We may be uh, introducing monthly pricing at some point, but as of today, we have a cost of $200 a year. And once you're signed up, then you can just go and listen to every episode within your subscriptions. Once you're logged in, you'll use my subscriptions here and you'll just go to the latest episode, which you'll scroll down to very near the bottom for. It doesn't matter which episode, you just scroll down and you find the one. So as of the time I'm recording this, the most recent episode is season four, episode 27. I can just start it right from here. I can do the quiz here. Once I'm done the quiz, then I can get my continuing education certificate. Very straightforward. Um, so I would just launch the course here and I can watch the episode from here. Uh, now, if you happen to be already listening to it on YouTube or whatever the case is, you can just navigate right into the quiz, you start your quiz, and you're just gonna go through the whole thing. And then at the end of it, you'll be able to see your certifications. So we're gonna, bring up uh, designing small group products. We bring this up and we click on wall certificate and that's gonna give me the CE certificate I need in order to maintain status wherever I happen to uh, need CE credits. So I really do encourage, I know that uh, out of our regular listeners, about 40% of you are listening to the episode for CE credits. That's about 60% who are listening out of general interest or whatever it is. Um, and I really think this is an easy way to get your CE credits, 200 bucks a year, pretty reasonable price. And as you can see from the certificate here, so, and as you hear me discuss at the beginning of the episode, we have a broad range of approvals for all of our courses. I'd like to thank uh, Joe Tong. Joseph is our editor, both for video and audio content. 
and Joe does a lot of good work to make sure that these episodes look and sound good despite my better efforts. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Maria Nguyen. Maria makes sure that the episodes all get approved for CE credits. Uh, Veronica Tiber does the quality assurance through that process. And then we have a strong marketing team that makes sure that all of our content gets out there so that people can find us and uh, take advantage of learning opportunity they might not have known about. Thank you.